welcome everybody at our East Campus and Effingham and downtown and Midway and uh, Statesboro and uh, I can't remember all the rest of them. And all of you who are watching on, online, man, we're glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, thanks for coming to join us. It's going to be a, a great, great uh, message for us. To, you know, we're, we're trying in this series we're calling uh, This Is Us to grab some music out of the culture that kind of speaks to where we're going uh, with these messages. And that song... From Now On is a great song that I really think could be like the theme song for this whole series. Because we're kind of saying, Lord, this is us. Now, from now on, what do I need to do if I want to have a great marriage, great family? I, I want to live a great life as a single person. I want to have great kids. I want to make a great difference. I want to be really relationally strong. Lord, from now on. What do I need? I don't really care about what's happened in the past. I know I'm coming with all kinds of stuff in the past, but, but Lord, from now on, what do I need to do uh, if I want to have the kind of great relationships that your word talks about? And that song really fits. It really fits what we're talking about today because you wrote the sermon for the day. Amen? I asked you what you wanted the sermon to be about, and you sent in a lot of stuff, only 95 different issues you wanted us to talk about. So this is going to be a long service. Going to get amen? Now, obviously, we can't talk about all 95 of those things. But, you know, the subtext of all these questions is, man, this is something that really, I just need to know what the Bible says about that. Because from now on, I want to line my life and my heart and my actions and my thinking and my family up, you know, with what God's Word says. And so we're just going to, we're going to dig into it. We're going to do a little different uh, format today. Uh, I'm going to ask Jason Coster to come out and help me with this message. And Jason's going to come. Y'all welcome. Pastor Jason, where's he at? There he is. You know. Jason has the distinction of being the tallest pastor on our team. I'm there. There he is right there. I'm worried about that air sick thing every now and then, man, with you, because you are way, way up there. All right, Jason, what do you want to do? Well, there are some awesome questions. I'm really, really excited about this, yeah, uh, but they're too. not easy, so okay. hopefully you're ready for that. Um, okay, um, yeah. But one great thing, you entitled the talk, uh, just Can We Talk? And yeah. I love that because it just reminds me of, it wasn't too long ago, and I and a few other pastors just sat with you and yeah. just fired off ministry questions just, yeah. just to get your feedback and wisdom from what God's taught you. And for me, this is what this time is, is just a time to fire questions from the church at you and just to hear just Slam to hear the cam, feedback. is that what this is going to be? That's what, what it is. is. Okay, I got it. So, all, right, all right, I'm for that. But for the, for the sake of people who are new here, let me ask you just a few personal questions. Awesome. Uh, you're yeah. married to Sarah. Um, how, many, how many kids do you have? Well, uh, we have three, kid, three boys, and they're all married, so we have three girls, too. There you go. So there you go. That's all right, it. any grandkids? Yes, yes. We have 10, oh, excuse me, now 11 grandkids. Yeah. Ah! That's right. Got one more on the way, y'all. That's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. And what about the uh, great, the great, great grandkids? Any of those yet? Funny. So it's really <laughs> funny. Funny. <laughs> yeah. But how many years have you and you and Sarah been married? Thirty-seven. Almost. Thirty-seven. Yeah. I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't even. <laughs> oh, that oh was my, my pre-existence uh, right we, there. We, we're really going to miss you, Jason, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Well, I think actually we have a picture, too, of you and, of you and Sarah whenever you were first, um, first married there. Where, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull that there out of the is. archives. Yeah, there was, you know, mm-hmm. Rhett and Scarlett, y'all. 
Don't lust. It's adorable. That's right. Don't lust. <laughs> That's right. Well, you've been our pastor here at Compassion for almost 34 of those years that you've yeah. been married with Sarah. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that you've been asked questions like this. You've been helping people through uh, navigating through the questions like this for a long time. But let me just start with some warm-up questions for you. Awesome. Uh, some, awesome. some maybe the easier ones that, that were asked. So let's start with this one. Uh, do we have a ministry for Spanish speakers? That's a great relationship question right there. And the answer is <laughs> yes. Uh, especially it's a great question if Spanish is your heart language. There it is. And man, we do have a Latino service. It meets on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock uh, right across the street at the Adult Ministry Center here at the Henderson campus. So man, if, if uh, going to a service that's uh, the whole service is done in Spanish, we bless you. Come for it. Pastor Carlos will be glad to meet you and uh, welcome you. And man, we're glad to have oh, is he? Hey, there he is. Okay, he's got Carlos. some fans here. That's a good thing. That's a I good think, thing. I think that was Carlos. That was Carlos. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good job on that one. Here's, a, here's another maybe a softball for you. Our life group has a question. Since we attend a large church, if we were to die, who would perform our service? Wow. The ladies in our group are up in age. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that question, but that's a brave or a foolish man that's right there. Right. <laughs> you tell a southern woman she's up in age, you better duck, bro. That's all I got to tell you. Hey, let me, let me put your mind at ease on that. You know, this past uh, Thursday, we had one of our charter members uh, pass away. Billy Terry was her name. She was here the first day our church got started. She was 97 years old. She lived in another city uh, for, five, for the last five years. And when we heard that uh, she had passed away, I'm telling you, we had two pastors at that funeral and an elder or two was at the funeral and a bunch of our church members were there. And so, you know, the, the point I want to make is, you know, we are a large church and, and churches get large because they're very, very loving. And man, we reach out to people who are hurting. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to go to uh, Kate McKay's funeral on Saturday, a little nine-year-old girl at our downtown campus that, uh, you know, went to heaven last week as well. But let me tell you, there were a lot of pastors there. A lot of our church family was there to help that family through. So here's what I want to tell you. You know, in a church like ours, if you are in a life group, we can take care of you just as well as any church in the world. And so if you are in a part of a life group, man, we will love you. We'll be there for you. Uh, man, we'll have whatever your pastor is on your campus is probably going to be the guy who does the funeral uh, sermon. And so will you just help the brother out? Amen. Give him something to talk about. That's what That's I want right. to say right there. The you want a great sermon? Give us something to work with. All right, good. Well, before we get into some of the deeper ones, uh, one, one more easier one for you. Okay. Um, how, how has marriage and family changed over the 33 years that you and Sarah have served here at Compassion? Wow. You know, I would have to, you know, honestly, it's changed a lot. Uh, life is just different now. I think one of the things that's changed since we got here is that the pace of life is just so much faster. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just don't remember all these different things tugging on us the way they tug, you know, on families today. Uh, man, there's this pressure, seems like, on families today to get their kids involved in everything. And so they got to play in all the sports and ballet and taekwondo and, and, you know, this, that, and the other, and go, 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 go. And there's no end to it. And I think at some point, you know, parents want their kids to have fun yeah. and they want them to be, you know, you know, broadly developed. But at some point, like we talked about last week, dude, you just got to draw a line and say, that's it. We're not going to raise our kids in a minivan. Uh, we're not going to be going three different ways uh, every night. And I think the parents just have to you know, decide uh, what we're going to do and feel confident about saying no to stuff. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, it, the pace of life is just crazy now. I'll tell you another thing that's different now than when Sarah and I got here is the prevalence of both mom and dad working. Uh, 
I, I don't think that was as prevalent when we got here 30 something years ago. Uh, and then now uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of the norm. And let me tell you, that increases the pace of life as well. Uh, increases the stress, you know, on families. Sarah, uh, by God's grace, we were able to decide for her to pull herself out of the workforce mm -hmm. until our kids went to school. And I'm really glad we were able to do that. But man, I'm telling you, for a lot of families, both parents are working and that just creates a, a higher level of intensity uh, in terms of stress. The other thing that is totally different for us today is the in, intrusion of technology. Uh, just the intrusion of technology. I am amazed at how many families physically get together and don't say a word to each other. Yeah because they are looking at a screen. Everybody in that family is literally looking at television and another screen, dual screening, sitting in the same room. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't think that's healthy. No. It was not a factor when I was raising my kids. And, and if you've got children today, I wanna recommend a book to you. I, I wanna encourage you to read The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. Now he talks about parents putting boundaries in place for their kids when it comes to television and screens and gaming and all that kind of stuff. And he recommends that everybody fast from technology for one hour a day and one day a, a, a month and, and one week a year. And I just think that is really, really wise. And, and if you don't set a boundary, dude, you'll just be swept along. And then technology will not be a blessing for your family. It'll be a curse. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to encourage you to uh, be smart on that because it's different than it was just a few years ago. That's a, that's a big request right there. You're going, you're going big right at the okay, start right Okay, let's get your the little phone. phone out. We'll baptize it for you as soon as this <laughs> service is over. Come on. All right. <laughs> um, well, let me start in with some of the more challenging questions. Yeah. There are a lot of questions about homosexuality issues. Yeah. Um, a, lot of questions, a, lot of, a lot of questions about relationships with people who have same-sex same sex attraction. Right. And let me just give you three examples of, of these questions. Okay. Uh, first one, how do I address my 18-year-old daughter who tells me that she's dating a girl. Yeah. Another one was, uh, what about people in same-sex relationships? It seems that many churches and Christians are accepting these uh, as okay these days. Mm -hmm. And what about all the gender-confused people? What does the Bible say about loving and showing compassion to them? Right. And the last one here, uh, how should I witness to and invite people who are in a same-sex same relationship? They often feel completely rejected and judged by Christians. Yeah. And those are great questions about a super right. sensitive subject. And you know, so many times when I've taught on this, you know, I've had, you know, people in our church who struggle with same-sex attraction uh, come up to me after the message and say, Cam, man, thank you for teaching on this. Thank you for teaching. And here's what they'll tell me. Cam, you know, the churches that love us don't tell us the truth. They don't teach what the Bible says about this. And the churches that teach the truth very often don't love us. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they do judge us and, and they do make us feel like, you know, we're un not welcome. The reason we love Compassion Christian is you love us and you tell us the truth. And I think that should be just at the core of every church. I mean, man, if people of every kind and every circumstance can't find the compassion of Jesus at our church, we're not a very good church. Yep. On the other hand, when they come here, if they don't hear the truth, then we're not a really good church either. And so, you know, what we want to do is lovingly tell the truth. Right. And so let's try to do that right now. You know, Jesus calls everybody who follows him to sexual purity. I mean, that's the call to everybody, whether you're straight, whether you're gay, uh, the call is to sexual purity. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of this today, but here's what I will say. I, I don't think I've ever met a gay person who chose to be gay. Uh, I, I just don't think it works like that. Now, some people choose homosexual behavior 
you know, uh, this is a huge trend in high school and yeah. middle school right now. You got kids, you know, who are acting in homosexual ways because they think it's cool or avant-garde or, you know, it gets people's attention and it's trendy. And, and you know, that's not about gender confusion at all. Mm -hmm. It's about manipulation. Uh, and honestly, it's super dangerous. And it is the path to sexual impurity and enormous heartbreak in the future. Yep. But I think most of the people in the LGBTQ community discover at some point that they have a same-sex attraction. And man, if they're followers of Jesus, they don't know what to do with that. Uh, especially if they grew up in church and they know what Jesus said about marriage and sex. Now, Jesus was crystal clear about marriage and sex. He, he said twice in the same words, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Right. Now, I, I heard Dave Allgar teach on this one time, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, you know, sexual purity, as defined by the Lord Jesus, is a, a man and a woman who are married. If you can imagine that this hand is a box, and there's a married man and woman in that box, all the sex that happens in that box is awesome and beautiful and powerful and pure and God honoring and fruitful and did I say awesome? Awesome, all right? It's awesome and if it ain't awesome, you ain't doing it right. Can I just tell you that right? I shouldn't, that's not my, where'd that come from? All right, now, so, you know, Jason. Um, so in that box, you know, between a married husband and a wife, uh, man, that, that's sexual purity. Yep. Anything outside of that box, is sexual impurity. I mean, high school kids having sex, you know, after football games and, mm -hmm. and, and all that action, uh, college students sleeping together, hookups, swingers, uh, adultery, you know, uh, people who are married having an affair with somebody who, who's not in that box, that's, that's sexual impurity. Uh, you know, some, some guy, some gal, you know, who was divorced and they used to be in this box, but they're not in it more. And so now they're out in the culture and they're sleeping with everybody they date with. Sexual impurity. Right. According to Jesus, sexual purity happens between a man and a woman who are married. And every other expression of that, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, is an expression of sexual impurity. Now, the message is the same for both. Uh, any sexual activity outside of that relationship between a man and a woman who are married, uh, man, it's sexual impurity, and it never leads to a good place, yeah. never. So the call to all un, you know, unmarried people is to celibacy mm -hmm. and purity, just like Jesus, just like me and Sarah before we got married, just like you and Rachel before you got married, and David and Mickey before they got married, and Harrison and Lindsay, and many, many, many other people uh, you know, that we all know and love, when they were single, they lived a life of celibacy right. and, and purity. Now, knowing all that and knowing that your 18-year-old daughter knows all that and she's still given in to sexual temptation. Now, temptation is not sin. Uh, given in to it, uh, that, that's the sin. And she's 18. What, what are you going to do? Here's what I would suggest. Love her. Man, love her lovingly express your concern to her, make a commitment that you're going to hang on to her, you're going to stay in relationship with her, man, you're going to make your love absolutely known to her, commit that you are going to love your daughter, you're not going to throw her out of the house, you're not going to burn, burn the relationship down. Well, I thought I had to kick her out. What? Would Jesus kick her out? Yeah. 
You can't minister to anybody if you kick them out like that, if you throw, throw, throw them down the curb. Man, don't say cruel and hurtful things to her today that she'll still be wounded by 20 years from now. Uh, I would encourage you to be as loving with her as Jesus was and as honest with her as Jesus was. Let her know your concern. Because listen, there is no blessing outside of this box. God will not and cannot bless that. And, and I think you should let her know that you're not going to fund a self-destructive lifestyle. I mean, if she's going to violate the family values and, uh, you know, she's going to cause disruption in the home, you're going to have to deal with that too. Uh, but I think we've got we to gotta let our daughter know, man, we love you. Oh, I'm very, very concerned. But that doesn't mean I'm, I don't love you. You know, Dr. Paul McHugh, who's a professor of psychiatry at John Hopkins University, uh, not a Christian, you know, one of the pioneers in that whole sexual re, re, um, reassignment, you know, surgical uh, procedures, he said 80% of the children, you know, young people who struggle with same-sex attraction grow out of it. 80%. Now, that doesn't always happen, but I think if your daughter's struggling, you should pray that it will. And I think you should get her to a godly Christian counselor very often. People who struggle with, you know, sexual confusion, gender confusion, that's not genetics. There's no science to support the genetic cause of that. It's nurture. It's happening in that home. And if you can get them to a great Christian counselor that is gracious and loving and patient and can work many times, it's a great help. But I think the goal is to show her compassion and love without compromising the clear teaching of Jesus, and that's what I think. Now, <clears throat> about should we invite our gay friends uh, to come to church here? <laughs> of course. Uh, of course we should. Man, we want everybody to come to church here. We want everybody to know Jesus the way we do. We want everybody to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Listen, everything we teach from God's Word is good mm -hmm. for anybody who honors it. And rejecting it is going to be bad for anybody who rejects it. So should we invite our lion, greedy people to come to church here? Absolutely. They need to know Jesus. Should we invite adulterous people to come to church here? Absolutely. They need to know Jesus. Should we invite the most sexually active kids on our high school football team to come to church here? Absolutely. They need to know the Lord Jesus. Should we invite our gay friends who are living in adultery to come here? Absolutely. I hope all of them will come and all of them will find Jesus here and allow his teaching to lead their lives and lead them to the purity that is always the pathway to blessing. And I have seen this happen a thousand times. You know, a, uh, a couple in our church, friends of mine, they were having dinner with a gay couple, and I just thought, awesome. I mean, how in the world, you know, can you influence anybody for Christ if you don't have a relationship with them, right? And so they're out, uh, they're out to dinner with this gay couple, and they're talking about how much they love our church. You know, they just love it. And so the couple says, uh, do you think we would be comfortable at your church? And he said, about as comfortable as anybody else. <laughs> he said, <laughs> we all get a little squirmy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, you know, the honest truth is, nobody's comfortable at our church all the time. Yep. Because, man, we teach the word of God here, and we don't blink. And it comes against our self-centeredness. It comes against our sin. It comes against our selfishness. That's not always comfortable, but it is often life-changing. And so, you know, if you're looking for a church that's going to acquiesce to your disregard of the teachings of Jesus on anything, no, this wouldn't be the church for you. But if you want to find Christ in a life-changing way, please come. Please come and worship with us because it'll happen for you. Now, we have tried to teach, you know, about sexual purity 
for the last 52 years. And that is not going to change. We have also been absolutely committed to showing the compassion of Jesus to everybody for the last 52 years. And that ain't going to change either. That's good. Well, what about like inviting Clemson fans? Are they, are they allowed to come? They're already Christians. They don't, have, already, you don't have to yeah. invite them. They're good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I covered a lot of ground with that, but we also yeah. have a lot of questions regarding dating issues. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, one question was, does maintaining sexual purity also count for individuals, I'm sorry, for divorced individuals in a new relationship? Oh, no, they get a pass. Yeah, yeah right. Right, just kidding about that. I think I've already answered that, and the answer is absolutely. You know, Ephesians 5.3 says, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Man, when the Bible calls us to a high standard like that, you know what I like to do? I like to look into the culture and see if there's any corroborating evidence coming from the universities and coming from the culture mm -hmm. that kind of stands behind, you know, the biblical principle. And man, I'm telling you what, our culture, researchers are finding more and more support for the biblical value on this. You know, the Barna Research Center, which is a Christian, uh, you know, polling research kind of group, they have, they published sobering statistics in their 2017 support. Man, there's a growing sense in America that living together first is the best thing you can do for your future marriage. And it's like it's a compatibility test. Yeah. And if you live together for a while, you'll know whether you're compatible or not. Uh, and then that's a smart way to get married. That's the myth. But man, that's what most people seem to believe in America these days. The Atlantic Magazine you know, ran an article on cohabitation. They showed that there is a 33% higher chance of divorce among people who live together before getting married than people who don't live together before getting married. Rutgers University, you know, their, their marriage uh, project research found that if you live together, if you're sexually involved before you get married, there's a 41% higher probability that you will divorce than if you don't live together before you get married. So, so the myth is that if we live together, we'll, we'll be better prepared for marriage. And the truth is, if you, want, if you want to increase your chance of divorce by 41%, then what you need to do is live with somebody before you get married. And, and there's real practical reasons for that. But you know, the honest truth is, we don't have the time to talk about it right now. Uh, but man, I, I'm telling you, as daunting as those statistics are, the culture is finding the exact opposite is true from what people hope. Uh, and they're setting themselves up for just failure. So once again, man, I would say the wisdom of God is that, here's the wisdom of God. Date, 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 date. Get your reps up. Date as many people <laughs> as you need to until you can find somebody that is sharp enough for you, that you love, that you, you feel like you could become one with. Yep. Date them, build a relationship until you develop a strong love, long courtship, short engagement, get married. And then set up housekeeping. And if you mess that order up, you are literally jacking up the probability of divorce for the future. Sad but I true. I just love it when science and uh, statistics kind of catch up with what the Bible's been teaching for, I mean, since the Dude, I'm time. telling you, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Well, the next question uh, okay. from our church comes from, I like any question that starts, in the old days. In the old, uh, back in the olden days. Yeah, yeah. You're not talking about me again, are you? Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
in the old days when people got married, they had a community celebration. Right. There were no marriage license. So why can't we continue to just have a celebration? Why is it important to God to have a license? Mm -hmm. Is this just a man-made law or rule? Uh, it says, uh, it's just a piece of paper that does not guarantee any more love than a couple without the paper. What's your thought? Well, here's my thought. <laughs> you know, back in the olden days when they had that community celebration, mm -hmm. that was a wedding. <laughs> that was a wedding. Listen, read your history. Every culture and every age has had a way for cult couples to declare their commitment to each other in a way that is binding within their culture and within their community. Man, in the Old Testament, you know, they may not have a, a paper marriage license like we do today, but there was a legally binding ceremony just like that marriage license is in America. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus said twice in Matthew 19 and in Mark chapter 10, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Everybody say united. United, united with his wife. That uniting took place at a wedding ceremony. Mm -hmm. And then they became one flesh. Man, the Jewish people in the Old Testament had a wedding ceremony by which couples became legally bound husbands and wives. In the New Testament, the Jewish people also had a wedding ceremony in which they became legally bound husbands and wives. It's about responsibility and accountability and a declaration of commitment. Listen, Jesus worked his first miracle where? At the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2, which is a pretty amazing validation for getting married in the mind of the Lord Jesus. Now, in America, let me just tell you, a marriage license is not just a piece of paper. It is a public pledge of commitment that calls for more accountability than people who live without one actually show to each other. And, and let me tell you, that's how people get married in our country. And, and if you're not married, you're living in adultery in the mind of God. And God will not and cannot bless that. Well, we got kids. You telling me God's not going to bless my kids? No. I think God will bless your kids. They didn't sin. They didn't disregard God's instructions. But if their parents did, you're going to struggle with that. Now, you know, at the church, we do spiritual ceremonies, which are awesome. But I will not do a marriage ceremony unless you have a marriage license. Because that's how we get married here in America. So, please... Uh, if you have a loving relationship with somebody and, and you just were told by your friends and your parents and all that, that this is just not important. Hear me when I say it is very important to God. It was the example of the Old Testament. It is the example in the New Testament. It should be very important to you and you should get married and be married because the alternative is living in adultery. Now, I can't tell you how many people come to our church and they never heard that before. Yeah. They're like, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And then, you know, we get together and talk a little bit. And we do some premarital counseling. And I can't tell you how many people I have married in my office, on the dock down by the boats, under the oak tree out here. I mean, in a park downtown, all over the place. Because Jesus said a family starts with a man and woman who are united. And they're united in marriage. I just think it's ultra important. Yeah, that's a good word. So one last dating question. It okay. uh, says... Is being on a dating side going against waiting on God? And I think this is really important for a lot of people. Did you feel guilty about that? Yes, <laughs> right. And then uh, <laughs> Facebook helped <laughs> us come together. Uh, okay. but, but I like how one, how one person said, uh, uh, can, can you make a Compassion Christian dating app just for Compassion Christian Church? 
Hey. And then she said, just kidding, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> That's right. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to have to get our social media department really right. working on that thing, man. You know, I don't, I don't think using a dating service, you know, uh, violates, you know, waiting on God to provide a husband or wife for you. You know, honestly, if you're single and you're not like 21 years old and you're still in college and you're single and you're out in the culture and you want to get married, dude, you've got you to get your numbers up. I mean, you got to have the number of quality <laughs> conversations got to go up, the number of quality friendships has got to go up. You got to meet people, you got to talk to people until you can find decent people. Now, where is the best place to do that? Compassion Christian right. Church. Get a good amen. We're going to put that on our brochure, and you might find a spouse here. You know no, I'm just saying, if I was single, you know what I would do? I, I, I got plenty of time. I would get involved in a big old crazy big church like this. Mm -hmm. I'd start working on about four or five teens. You know what happened? I'd be going through those teams going, mm -hmm. no, I'm just kidding about that. I'm, I'm just kidding about that. You know, anybody wolfing around in our church here, all right? But I'm just saying, you would meet people, and then other people would meet you, and they'd say, oh, I know this great girl who works in our children's ministry. You ought to meet her. And I'm telling mm -hmm. you, my niece is getting married in New Jersey next month. Uh, she's 33, her fiance is 47, and they were introduced by somebody that they went to church with. And so I think that's the best way to do it. I do not think that using a dating site is, is problematic. In fact, I just interviewed a couple on Sunday for a pastoral role here at our church. And I asked them, I said, how'd y'all meet each other? And they went, eHarmony.com. <laughs> I was like, what? I said, yeah. And you know, I mean, she's from another yeah. country, and I mean, they met, and they love it. eHarmony.com was started by Dr. Neil Clark Warren, who is a Christian marriage counselor mm. who took his premarital counseling material. That's what they created the algorithm for that matches people up in eHarmony, and it's been really, we've got, had a lady on our staff, uh, I mean, awesome person who met her future husband on eHarmony.com. Now, let me just say this. Y'all be careful out there. You gotta kiss a lot of frogs before you find your prince, That's amen? Right. You know, I'm just saying, be careful out there. But you know, I just think if you're single and you wanna get married, any way you can meet decent people, as long as your standards are high, mm -hmm. you can meet quality people and have quality conversations that can lead to a quality relationship. Compassion Harmony app, coming Boom. soon. There it is, there it is, all right. So we had a, we had a ton of questions about third-party intrusions into marriage. Yep. If you know yep. what I mean. And so yep. this next question represents a number of questions, many, many questions yeah. uh, are kind of represented in this one sure. question. Here it is. Sure. My husband texts other women and discusses our marriage problems with them. I think that's wrong, but my husband says I'm too oversensitive. Is he right? What do y'all think the answer to that is? <laughs> put the gun down, lady. Put it, put it down, all right? <laughs> Where is that guy? Uh, can I just say, no, I do not think your husband is right. I think he's dead wrong, and I think you are intuitively picking up something wrong in your husband's heart, and women are crazy good about that, amen? Yeah. Women are crazy intuitive. I'm just saying it's because their bilateral brain, they're awesome. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. But you know, I'm watching one of my ministry heroes. His ministry and his marriage are unraveling right now, maybe taking hits that are unsurvivable because he did the same silly thing. And nobody's accused him of committing adultery, you know, physical adultery yet. The problem is when you start sharing in intimate ways and getting emotionally connected with some third party, dude, that's how, that's how affairs happen. I mean, that so often leads to adultery. 80% of the crisis counseling that's happening by counselors in America today has a Facebook component. 
You know what's going on with that? Oh, I'm just checking in with an old friend. And the next thing you know, they're texting each other. Of course, they're not telling their spouses about it. And the next thing you know, they're sharing private problems with their marriage, with this old friend, which honestly is just a wimpy, poor me way of trying to make somebody else feel sorry for you and get the word out that I'm not happy and whatever comes after that. And it's pathetic. It's pathetic. You know, they're innocently, according to them, meeting for coffee just because we're old friends which is totally inappropriate if you're married. Now listen, that's how affairs get started, man. Listen, nobody, you know, with any integrity just says one day, you know what, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife. Mm. This is how it happens. We start meeting and bumping into each other and, oh, I got a text. And and, and, and it's a gradual, it's a gradual, you know, invitation to somebody else into what's supposed to be an exclusive relationship. And it's dangerous. And I've Mm. seen it blow marriages up a thousand times. So here's what I would tell I don't know if you're here tonight. Here's what I would tell your husband. I would say, brother, you are sharing confidential information that is totally inappropriate. No man of integrity would participate in that kind of high school mess. And you are setting yourself up for an affair if you are not already in one. And you need to repent and bring your wife here for counseling if you want to save your marriage because it is headed for the reef. Now, any man or woman who is meeting socially with some friend of the other sex without their spouse, you know, is either just ignorant of how dangerous that is or they've teened it up to cheat and just lying about it. Now, Jason, when you got married, you picked your best friend. That's right. And if your spouse is not that person anymore, you need to work on that. Don't be looking somewhere else. That's what I think. Tell us what you really think about that. Yeah, right? I know. You know, subtly is my big thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's my big thing. <laughs> Tell it to the straight. Yeah. All right, here's another question. It's a little different direction. <clears throat> is it natural to feel that you were, you were in a person's life uh, for one purpose, and after that purpose has been fulfilled, that you feel it's time to just move on? My work here is done? Yep. Well, yeah. I think that's absolutely appropriate if you're mentoring a kid in the student ministry and he graduates from high school and goes off to college and goes somewhere else. I think that's absolutely appropriate if you're mentoring somebody at work, mm-hmm. but not with your spouse. Right. Listen, man, when you marry, it's for better or worse, richer, poorer, sickness and health, to death do us part. Now, here's what I think happens to us. And this is what Sheldon Van Alken calls uh, creeping separateness. Y'all say that with me. Creeping, creeping separateness. separateness. This is the enemy of all relationships. Your relationship with the Lord, Uh, Your relationship with your kids, with your in-laws, with your spouse, everybody. Uh, Counselors call this parallel living and emotional distancing. Uh, The culture calls it the seven-year itch. Uh, And I think of it as a cycle of discontent. Mm -hmm. Discontent. So here's how it works. You're living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed, eating in the same kitchen, writing checks doing electronic banking out of the same bank account, (laughs) whatever, all right? So you're doing it, you're living a parallel life with your spouse, but emotionally, this is what's happening. You're just drifting apart. Now, is there any married person who's been married over 10 years that has never experienced this? But let me see the hands of everybody who has experienced this. My hand's up. The rest of you, liars, we'll get to you later. (laughs) This, every relationship fights this, all right? Now, here's what happens. When you start drifting apart, what, the first person in the marriage to notice it wants to go, whoa, what's going on, man? 
Why are we fussing all the time? Why are we fighting all the time? How come we don't laugh anymore? How come we never do anything together anymore? Why has why our house turned in, you know, to kind of a war zone? What in the world is going on here? We're not going to have this. Listen, we love each other. we got a family here. We're fighting for this thing. I'm calling the pastor tomorrow. I'm going to get this appointment. I'm going to marriage council. We're going to read a book together. We're going to go to that marriage retreat. We're doing something. And here's what will happen, man. You will pull it back together. Not immediately, but faster than it drifted apart because now you see it. Now you're both working on it. And, of course, now you live happily ever after, right? you got to be kidding me. Seriously? No, you start drifting again. And hopefully you get smarter and you catch it faster. And then you start drifting again. And you catch it again, and that's how it's going to be for the rest of your life. Now, when people tell you marriage is hard work, they weren't talking about heavy lifting, y'all. <laughs> this is what they're talking about. Paying attention to your relationship. Being doggedly committed to keeping your relationship strong. Now, I believe that about every seven years, most healthy couples, they take advantage of each other, take each other for granted to the point that they get to a place of discontent. And you know what? Some people start cheating. Some people start, you know, wandering. Some people suck it up and get it back together. And that's what I think you ought to do. Everybody's going to go through these cycles of discontent. The difference is, man, what do you do when you get there? And if you're committed to your spouse and committed to the Lord, dude, what you want to do is you want to, you want to say, all right, something's wrong. Let's pull it back together. I don't think it is ever time to just move on from your spouse you know what? Because you're out of vision. I think it's time to revision. Revision. And a pastor, a counselor, a good book can help you do that. And I think everybody goes through that about every seven years. That's what I think. So what happens when a couples now don't have that same vision for their life? We had so many questions that are along this, along this line here, this next question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that, it's, that just makes this even more complicated. Yeah. It's a longer question. Let me read it for you. You can take a stab here. I received Christ four years into this marriage, and my spouse is a non-believer. Right. Although I know that I am the only Jesus he knows, the longer I live in Christ, the more our values and morals disconnect. Right. He will not attend church with me, nor counseling. How do I move forward honoring God's word on marriage, <clears> but feeling more and more disconnected from my spouse praying for his salvation daily. Wow, you know, that's a hard situation that was a factor in the New Testament. Yep. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 3. Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, it was a factor, you know, where one becomes a Christian, the other is not, the other doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't value spiritual things, sometimes is antagonistic yep. about spiritual things. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if an unbeliever abandons you, let him go. Let him go and feel free to divorce and remarry. Uh, because they abandoned the relationship because of your faith. But that is not the best thing that should happen. Peter says in 1 Corinthians 3, you want to love that spouse to Christ. If you possibly can, love them. Now, you're not going to argue them to Christ. In 1 Peter 3, he says you, you can win them without a word. And I don't think he means to be silent. But I think what he's trying to say is, look, it's probably not a word from you that God is going to use to reach your spouse because you're too close. It's the quality of your love that's going to hit them the hardest. Uh, however, you know, you may not be the one that wins your spouse to Christ in that situation. So here's what I would say. If you're married to an unbeliever, number one, resist the temptation to try to argue them into the kingdom of God mm -hmm. because it won't work. The harder you push on them, the farther you just push them away. Uh, this is about attraction. 
If you're married to an unbeliever, you want to love them, love them, love them. Look for opportunities, invite them to come to church here. You know, if they like baseball, when we have Daryl Strawberry, invite them to come to church. Right. If they like money, invite them to come here. <laughs> you know, Dave Ramsey, yeah. they might not give a rip about Jesus, but they like baseball and money, man. <laughs> Maybe they'll come for that, you know. Uh, just, just be smart about it. You know, don't, don't try to push, push, push. Try to love, love, love. Uh, I, I think you should pray that God will send a friend at work, uh, of the, a guy or gal, who, whatever the same sex is, at work, who is a dynamic Christian, send another believer into their life that, that, that can talk to them about the Lord. Because mm. you're too close. There's just too much ego involved in that. Uh, just, just pray that they will, somebody that will come into their life and share Christ with them, and then they'll think while that guy's talking, my wife is just like that. Mm. And, and you know, your, your character will, will resonate with him. And don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You know, one of my greatest encouragements today is, uh, is a guy who hated preachers. <laughs> he never met a preacher he didn't hate. I mean, he never went to church, had no use for the gospel. I mean, he just far, far, far from the Lord. His wife prayed for him for 35 years. And you know, God began to work through a group of guys here at the church that, that liked him and and they introduced me to him, and we, we started having a friendship over motorcycles, uh, yeah. you know, of all things, right? And, man, God began to work through that whole thing, and Gary Williams came to our, started coming to church here, and he began to realize that some of his presuppositions were wrong. And on Christmas Eve, seven years ago, Gary came forward and gave his life to Jesus, and I had the opportunity to baptize him into Christ after 35 years. Yeah, praise the Lord, man. 35 years. So don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Man, just keep loving and keep praying that God, God will, will use you. Uh, and, and he very often will. Yeah. Just yeah. ride some motorcycles. It'll, yeah, I think that's a really Christian thing to do. Actually. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After your kids are out of college. <clears throat> but anyway, go ahead. Well, you joked earlier about going two hours, so we probably have to keep we'll have to tighten up, you tighten a, up a little here. bit with this. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. uh, but this next question is so important that we, we just can't skip over it. We probably had uh, just as many questions over this as anything else. Um, it's about forgiving infidelity. Yeah. And, uh, and I could summarize all the questions that we received uh, really by this one, one sentence, by this one question. How can we forgive and move on from adultery or deception? Wow, that's tough. Uh, that's a tough issue. And let me tell you, it's bifurcated into two, two different scenarios. Uh, if you got, you, you know, you got guys who are wanderers and you got guys who are predators, right? Mm -hmm. And so if somebody commits adultery and they are contrite and repentant and they're they are just humble about it, that's one thing. Uh, but if there are adultery, 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 dude, that's something else. A lot of times Christian people feel like, well, I got to stay with them, you know, honor the Lord. Hey, what does serial adultery teach your kids? I mean, that you're not a human being, that this joker can just run over you all the time. Uh, Jesus said you could divorce over adultery. Now, I don't think that's God's highest will. I think forgiveness is his highest will. Yeah. But man, um, ad adultery is just the worst. It's plutonium, man. It is the worst thing you can do to your family, according to the scripture. So let me just say a few things, even though I don't have time to unpack this fully. If it's somebody who is repentant and is truly, you know, humble about this thing, and, and you want to honor God by extending forgiveness, let me say a few things about that. Number one, forgiveness is the most God-like love you will ever show. Man, God extended forgiveness to us when we had betrayed him in every possible way. And man, if your spouse is truly repentant and confesses fully with a broken and contrite, humble spirit, 
Listen, forgiving them might lead you to the best, better marriage than you've ever had or ever dreamed of before, and I've seen it happen a hundred times. Forgiveness is also the hardest, most expensive gift you will ever give or receive. I mean, forgiveness for our sins required Jesus to die on a blood-soaked cross. So we should not be surprised that forgiveness is tough and that we have to suffer to offer it. It's hard. It's releasing your right to hold us against somebody and bring it up you know, for the rest of their stinking life. And so forgiveness is a big deal. Forgiveness is a process. Doesn't happen because somebody says, I'm sorry. Man, when somebody cheats on you, that's a death. I mean, that's a death of trust. It's a death of a dream that, you know, I'd have a marriage where this would never happen, and now it has happened, and you've got to grieve that. You know, when you go through grief, you go through shock and anger and depression and bargaining. Okay, if you do this, I'll do that. I've got to create a safe place where this never happens again. And then finally you get to acceptance, you know, where we forgive each other and, and now we've worked through it. Our marriage is stronger than ever before. But that doesn't happen because somebody said, I'm sorry. I mean, true repentance has to be there before full forgiveness can come. And listen, forgiveness is not the same as trust. And forgiveness and trust take time. You got somebody who commits adultery over and over again, you shouldn't trust them. You shouldn't believe what they say. Listen, man, trust is like a picket fence around your relationship. You know, it defines who's in, who's out, protects everybody. Uh, amazing thing, trust. But when somebody breaks it, it's like that whole fence falls at one time. Yeah. And you can rebuild it. But do this one stick at a time, one stick at a time. I tell guys who cheated on their wives, you should not expect your wife to believe a word you say for two years. I won't. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it until you have been trustworthy 5,000 times. That's 10 times a day for about two years. Mm. Amen? And so, man, I'm telling you, it takes time. So when somebody's cheated on their spouse, why won't they forgive me? Well, you did this. You brought this to the house. You fix it. You humble yourself, and you do the right thing day in and day out for the next two years and see if God doesn't do a miracle here. Hey, that's really, really good. And I know that we're about out of time, but, um, but you had mentioned earlier that this was your favorite question, so I uh, want to make sure that we, we ask it here. Jason. And I think it summarizes all the, all the questions, right? Okay. How do you adult? <laughs> I, you know, I don't even know if this is a right, is this a typo, man, or if this is the real question? And we don't have time to talk about this. So let me just quickly say, I love this question. How do you adult? When my boys are 13, I threw a dinner party. And it was just me and a kid, and I invited all of his uncles to come. And we sat around the table, and we ate way more meat. You know, I had the big Lipitor milkshake after, so it was all good, right? But, man, when we sat around that table, I asked those uncles to tell my son, what does it mean to be a man in our family? In our family, what does it mean to be a man? And here's what they told him. Men resist temptation. This is what adults do. Everybody's tempted. Adults resist temptation. You will be stalked by temptation all your life. The devil hates you. Adults resist. We resist it. We face it. We defeat it. When we fail, we confess it, and we try to make it right. But that's one way we adult is by resisting temptation. We also take responsibility. Something's wrong in your family? Fix it. Well, it's not my fault. It, hey, it's your family. Fix it. Go to work. Take responsibility. Don't give your family up for anything. Who cares whose fault it is? Let's fix this thing. Take responsibility and love unconditionally. You know, it takes a lot of grace to make relationships work. Dude, we need to receive a lot of love, and so we need to give a lot of love. You know, in Ephesians 4, Paul actually talks about unity. 
the unity of the church, unity of relationships. And he says, here are the four things you have to have to have unity. Humility, gentleness, patience, mm. and just bearing with each other. Putting up with each other. Can you get an amen? <laughs> Humility, gentleness. That's the only way Jesus ever described himself in the Bible. Mm. I am gentle and humble in heart. Gentle, power under control. Humility, gentleness, patience, and just bearing with each other. And that's how you, that's what adults do. It ain't sexy, it's just what adults do. Amen? Hey, let's thank the Lord for Jason leading us through this tonight. Oh. Okay. Stop clapping, we're out of time. I gotta pray, okay? Hey, uh, listen. From now on, what do you need to do? From now on, God's been talking to you wide open for four weeks. From now on, what do you need to do? Father, I pray that you bless our church today, bless our family. Use us, Lord, not just to build great, strong relationships, but the example to others that it can be done. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.